The following is presented by Maranatha Bible Church of Comstock Park, Michigan. For more information, go to mbcmi.org. So, a little bit of uh, background for the second uh, Peter. The Apostle Peter likely wrote uh, this letter from Rome, where church and tradition placed him in his later days, because in chapter 1, verse 14, he mentions that his death is near. Therefore, it seems that this letter was written just prior to his death. And <coughs> a tradition also places the date of P- uh, Peter's martyrdom around uh, AD 67 during Nero's uh, reign. Um, <coughs> to summarize the letter of Peter, the Apostle Peter writes to remind the believer uh, of the words previously spoken by the prophets and uh, by the command of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through his apostles. And he means to remind them of, uh, of who Christ is and what he has done. Not only that, but he also desires to remind them that there will be false teachers that will infiltrate the church. And these false teachers will deny uh, the lordship of Jesus Christ as well as his second coming. And so then uh, Peter goes on to admonish and encourage them and to exhort them that they should live godly in light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and of his calling, and so to be found without spot or blemish at his sight when he comes again. Chapter 1, Peter opens uh, very gloriously. He, he mentions, he mentions uh, Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and then he has this benediction, May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and save and Jesus our Lord, uh, by which we understand that there is no grace, neither peace, apart from the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he begins then and to say, uh, and says to those who have received a faith equal to ours, through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, we are to know first who Christ is. Christ is both our Savior and our God. And he grants us faith. We are only receivers, not producers of this faith. And the word receive is in the passive, which means that you didn't do anything to acquire this faith. It was simply given to you and to me to receive. Now we are also told what uh, our great God and Savior Jesus Christ has given us in verse 3 of chapter 1. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and goodness. We are told that God by his divine power has given us all that the believer needs for God uh, for life and godliness and there is nothing that a Christian lacks. The word required has for its subject God. It is God who does the requiring both for life and godliness and this requirement this standard of life that God uh, does set is godliness. Now how are we to live godly and what this godly life looks like? God uh, tells us and the means by which we are to do that is, is uh, God has given us everything required for life and godliness through and only through the knowledge of Him, meaning Christ, who called us by His own <coughs> glory and goodness or excellence of character or moral virtue. Everything that God has given us is bound in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And there is no proper knowledge of of God 
apart from knowing Christ Jesus. We are not to think that anything that we are given are given uh, apart from that which is rooted in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now what is the goal of God's great and precious promises that He has given us? And verse 4 tells us, so that, this is the purpose, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. The purpose is that we may share in divine nature. This is not, this is not saying that we will become God <laughs> or, 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 or demigods, but that we will share in His nature, meaning that His nature is, is righteous, holy. And He has called us and made us known who He is for this very purpose. God has called us to know Him and to imitate Him as, he, as His dear children. If God is good, if He is holy, then we are also to be holy in our conduct. If He hates evil, then we too ought to hate evil and continue, continually be escaping corruption because of evil desires. Now, our command in light of the knowledge and call of Christ is to be diligent in, in the virtues that are here displayed in verses 5 and 7, where it says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly love or affection, and brotherly affection with love. I have here a quote from Charles Spurgeon. says, People are not saved by their efforts. But on the other hand, grace saves no one to make him like a log or wood or a block of stone. Grace makes people active. God has been diligently at work with us. Now we must diligently work together with him. It is not that our will, it is not our will that accomplishes our salvation, yet it is not accomplished without our will. So the first command is to be <coughs> diligent in these uh, very Christian uh, virtues that we are uh, that are mentioned in verse 5 and 7. Second command is to be diligent in confirming our calling and election and we see that in verse 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Now first we are told of our complete or definite uh, sanctification and now we're, we are told of our progressive sanctification. <coughs> now the second does not contradict the first, on the contrary, it is the, the means uh, and uh, the evidence of, of the first. Verse 10 is a reiteration of what we saw in verse 5 through 7. All those virtues in which we are to engage are the means or the way in which we confirm our calling and election. This is, this is why he says, if you do these things, he, he is referring to those very virtues he mentions in verses 5 and 7. If you do these things, you will never stumble. The third command, and all, all these commands uh, we see uh, as, uh, as stemming from, from the reason that we are given. God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. And as a result, here are the commands we are to do. And we see those from the words, uh, for this reason and therefore. 
And so the third one is diligence in reminding ourselves about these things. Therefore, says Peter, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. Contrary to common belief that says, if there is nothing new in the church, nothing to hear, what is the point of going there? Contrary to that, Peter says it is a good thing. I think it to be a good thing. He calls the reminding of the same things not boring, but a waking up, a stirring up. As it says, I think it right as long as I am in this bodily tent to wake you up with a reminder. Verse 13. So the world tempts us to be at home and forget that we are but pilgrims and strangers in this world. It seems to con uh, continually put before us the lusts of, of the flesh. Now, if the devil wants to lull us to the sleep of destruction, how much more are we to be diligent and arouse ourselves to godliness by way of reminder? Now, what are the dangers, one may, may ask, of lacking these qualities? And Peter, in verse 9, says... This will be an evidence of our blindness and short-sightedness, and also a forgetfulness of the cleansing of past sins. If we are not actively and continuing, uh, continually pursuing godliness, then we have neither known God's justice nor His salvation. <coughs> there is no salvation that does not wake up a person, to the point that He changes the course 180 degrees. He was going one direction and now you find him going completely the opposite. Because this is destruction in one way, but salvation in the other. A true minister of the gospel is not led by the desires of the crowd. He does not say, well, let me see what the crowd desires. How can I please them? That is not his aim. His duty is not to entertain them, but to watch over his soul. The God-given pulpit that he has is not so that he may please people by what he says, but that he may please God. For if he pleases people, as the Apostle Paul says, I will not be a servant of Christ. So his goal as a preacher is not to be liked by them, but to watch over the souls whom God has entrusted to him as one who will one day give an account to God. Apostle uh, Paul in Philippians 3.1 says, To write the same things to you, it's not troublesome to me, but, and here is the point, it's a safeguard to you. We ought to regard the repetition of the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and all that He has given us for life and godliness as safeguard for ourselves, for our lives. Uh, now, if you were to be honest, uh, you know that you and I are forgetful people. We soon forget things, therefore we are in much need to be reminded. So these are the dangers that there is an evidence that we have not been affected at all by what God has done in our life. The benefits of possessing these qualities will be kept from being useless or unfruitful. Would you like to be fruitful as a believer? Then be obedient to what God has called you in all these virtues that are mentioned in verse 5 and 7. For by so doing we will also never stumble. And here is this beautiful and sweet and a sweet thing to hear. Entry into the internal, eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided. 
what a great uh, and awesome you know, promise. But it's hard, it's hard to have such an expectation if we are, if we are Christians who are sleeping, so, uh, so to uh, speak, and they are sort of in, in a daze, where they are neither left nor right. They are Christian uh, normally, but not so practically. Now, we also uh, see the trustworthiness of the Word of God that Peter says. Not only does he mention uh, God's, you know, the knowledge of God and the commands we're given in light of it, but he's saying the Word that I am talking to you is not a made-up story. This is the true Word of God. And the commands that you are to pay attention to it as a lamp, lamp that shines in a dark place comes from the Lord Himself. And... Uh, here he gives the, uh, the evidence. He says, we were eyewitnesses. When, and he recalls when he himself, both uh, with James and, and John, were eyewitnesses of Christ's majesty on the holy mountain when they heard the majestic voice saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Not only that, but he says, no prophecy of scripture finds its origin in man but it is traced with proper source, namely God. So we are to keep this in mind, that as we obey these commands, we are obeying the very words of, of God. In chapter 2, Peter uh, calls the, belie uh, the believers to be remind not only to be reminded of the scriptures and to obey them, but also to be aware that there will be false teachers that will infiltrate the church. The scripture not only makes us wise unto salvation, through faith in Christ Jesus, but also keeps us faith, uh, safe from falling prey to false doctrine. And uh, we see the presence of false teachers as he starts in chapter 2 and says, There will indeed be prophets, uh, indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. He's presenting this as a fact, not as a mere possibility. And though this, although this does not mean that every local church has false teachers, it surely means that the universal church has had and will have false teachers. Here we are given a, port a portrait of who they are, their deeds and their end. Now their grotesque identity. The reason they are the reason the way of truth will be maligned. They are bold, arrogant people. They are spots and blemishes. They have eyes full of adultery. They never stop looking for sin. They have hearts trained in greed. Springs without water. Mist driven by a storm. They are like dogs. They return to their own vomit. And washed souls. They return to wallow in the mire. Peter does not mince his words when he describes his false teachers. Because they have infiltrated not for no good reason. But to destroy the flock of God by their own evil doing. Here are their sinful deeds. They will bring in destructive heresies. And this is the reason why he also calls them uh, the way he does. They will deny the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Will cause many to follow their depraved ways. Will exploit you in greed with made up stories. They are not afraid to slander the glorious ones. And they delight in carousing op openly. They seduce unstable people. They have abandoned the straight path. They utter boastful, empty words. They seduce people who are barely escaping from those who live in error with fleshly and desires and debauchery. And they promise freedom, but are themselves slaves of corruption. 
Now we also see their miserable end. Their condemnation is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. They will be destroyed. They will be paid back for the harm they have done. We see the certainty of their end in verses two, uh, in chapter 2, verses 4 and 6, where Peter says, For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned but cast them into hell, and deliver them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment. And if he didn't spare the ancient world by protecting Noah, preacher of righteousness, and seven others, when he brought the flood on the world of the ungodly, and if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to, dis uh, to extinction, making them an example of what is coming to the ungodly. Now, the word for... For if God, that brings us back to the previous judgment that God had brought upon the angels that sinned, upon the ancient world that, were dis, uh, that was disobedient to God, and Sodom and Gomorrah that lived in the lust of their flesh. God's past judgment is not to be forgotten, dear friends, but it is to be taken as an example for those who live ungodly. John MacArthur says, as the Apostle gives an overview of the three Old Testament examples, he highlights the height of God's wrath in the case of fallen angels, the breadth of God's wrath in the case of, ancient, of the ancient world at the time of the flood, and the depth of God's wrath in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, he's saying, there are no creatures too lofty, too numerous, or too base. They will escape the divine judgment. His vengeance will be meted out on all who oppose him. And as Peter points out in his passage, the false teachers of, the, of his day were of no exception. This is a serious thing. And let him who pretends that he shall have any foothold in the church of God, or that he shall go out unpunished, by bringing in heresy, let him keep this in mind, that God's judgment is not asleep. And God will judge that person. And this ought to wake us up, that as we approach the, scripture, uh, the scriptures of God, that we are diligent, uh, that we are understanding the right, so that we are not led astray, but we do not lead others astray. Sometimes it is done you know, uh, with no ill intentions, yet... Because this is such an evil weed in the garden of God, we ought to be cautious of these very things. Now, chapter, in chapter 3, Peter again lays out the purpose of his writing to, to the believers. The purpose is to recall, and he says, uh, <coughs> to recall the Old, the Old Testament by saying, so that you may recall the words previously spoken, and he gives us the means how those words previously spoken uh, came to be is by the holy prophets, but also to recall the New Testament, which is the command of our Lord and the means of His delivery is through your apostles, not your apostles that came from you, but uh, uh, the apostles that God gave to them. Peter says, "I want to stir up uh, to stir up your mind." This is very important to understand. Peter does not say, "I want to stir your emotions," or "I want to uh, to stir you into this." Uh, uh, ecstasy and into this mystical way of learning about God. But I want to, uh, to stir up your mind or your understanding, 
your intellect. And uh, Arsis Pro uh, said the biggest threat in the first 200 years of Christianity came from Gnosticism, which, is, uh, which comes from the word Gnosis, which means to know. And the Gnostics argued that ultimate truth could not be learned through the mind or through rationality or five senses or scientific investigation. They argue that the truth of God can only be understood through a mystical intuition that goes beyond the categories of reason and eyewitness testimony. They claim to be superior to the apostles because uh, the apostles uh, claimed and sought to understand the message of revelation in intelligible way rather than through mystical intuition. And he quotes another guy, but he says basically the main vehicle for the spread of uh, Gnosticism in our days is the, the New Age thought. So we are to be cautious of this. Whenever people say, God told me, or uh, I heard this, or this is how I hear from God, we ought to be cautious because up to this point, uh, Peter has told us that the scriptures, which are to be trusted, and he gives evidence for that as being a, an eyewitness himself, upon which he has placed his life, and for the sake of which he himself died, showing his assurance, we ought to be, we ought to be careful and to pay attention to the Word of God and contrast and compare anything that comes our way solely with the Word of God. Not only does he give us the purpose, but he also tells us to be aware. And the objects of our awareness are the scoffers that will come in the last days. Now here we see the manner of their coming. They will come scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Scoffers are identified as those who disobey God. They follow their own evil intentions and they do not obey to the perfect will of God. In their insolence, they put to question the integrity of God's word and his faithfulness. This is the definition of, scoff of scoffers, that they disobey and doubt God. And by it we have to understand that to disobey and to doubt God is the same as to scoff at him. Or in doubting him, what are we saying But that? Uh, it is not true <laughs> what you are saying. <coughs> and that is uh, 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 evil and heavy accusation. And therefore we have to keep this in mind and not to be as those who are labeled as scoffers because they <coughs> doubt God's word. And we are told that they are deliberate about this because we are told that they intentionally overlook God's previous faithfulness to his promises. Now, far be it from us that we should doubt God and put to question the integrity of his word. Whenever we are tempted to, to doubt God, let us do this, dear brothers and sisters. Let us go back to the scriptures and see if we can find in any instance whether God has said something and it has failed to come uh, to... Come to to be. Let us not reduce God by our uh, doubting to a mere mortal man. Has God, says Numbers 23:19, has he said and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not make it good? We see Peter's response about the scoffers. They, uh, he says that they deliberately overlook, one, God's faithful word in the past, when God created the heaven and the earth by his word, and by his word he also brought the flood upon that ancient world. Also, God, God's faithful word in the future, the storing up of this world by fire, by the word of God, and the destruction 
of this world and the ungodly by the word of God. And Paul and uh, Peter here gives us the exhortation. He gives us what uh, a view of what the scoffers do and how they intentionally overlook uh, faithfulness or, uh, the faithfulness of God instead of saying, wait a minute, I have no proof for my evil doubting. They don't say that, but regard this very true uh, truth and they still go on uh, doubting and disobeying God. So Peter gives us an, an, uh, three, actually, exhortations, or rather five <laughs> exhortations. And the first one is, don't overlook the patience of the Lord. Here he gives us the character of the Lord. The Lord is patient toward us. And the purpose of his character, not wanting that any should perish, but wanting all to come to repentance. And this, uh, this word all doesn't mean to everybody because he is talking to the believers. He's telling the believers, you believers, dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. You don't think that God delays his promise as some, as some think uh, that God is delaying. But he is patient with you. Not wanting you to perish, but all of you to <coughs> repentance. You are to keep in mind the all who is referring to. The all is uh, reference to you and to the believers whom he is speaking to right now. Uh, that they should not overlook uh, the faithfulness of God's word as the unbelievers do. So that is the uh, exhortation. We are, not, uh, we are not to overlook God's patience as, as God forgetting, but as God wanting us to come to faith. If God is being patient... It's because he is waiting for all his elect to come to come in, and I'm reminded when I'm reminded of the fact that when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they went through the sea, and the sea was divided into two parts as walls on each side. But what happened? How long did the walls stay up? Not long, uh, not longer than the last Israelite had stepped out of it. As soon as the last one had stepped out. They crumbled, and all, all, all the Egyptians that were in there, they were drowned. The fulfillment of his word, of God's word, the coming of the Lord's day, the dissolution by fire, uh, by, by fire of the heavens and the earth, and the expectations of the new heavens and new earth, where righteousness dwells. Before I move on to the next one, is there any, any questions or... Anything that you thought was not clear enough that we could clarify or yes, you. Yeah. Um, about the mystics, you know, the early church there might have been some around, but it really progressed um, in what they called the Dark Ages, which was predominantly the Catholic Church, where they had mystics everywhere in monasteries and also places we would say today nuns, but women were the place where they had these visions and all this kind of stuff and, and along with the traditions of the church that Constantine started and even till today, that's what they were basing a lot on because they they were not teaching the people the Bible so these people wrote, were dwelling on these mystic revelations to teach them about God and everything else which was a lot of it, I would say most of it I wasn't there uh, <laughs> I'm not older than you so I wasn't there, but anyway uh, that's what was going on and it, even today, there's 
so-called Protestant people that do that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, I, the Lord told me in this vision that you're going to get this job or whatever, and it doesn't come to pass. So if they're prophesying, they're false prophets. So to conclude, what they did in the Old Testament, false prophets, they stoned them. Mm-hmm. Of course, we don't do that today because you go to prison, but still... Um, it's around today, and you have to be careful. Just turn on the TV sometimes and hear these people just doing all this stuff. So enough said. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you for uh, for that uh, addition. Yeah, it is. It is helpful. It's a good reminder for us to always be glued to the Word of God. I think Charles Spurgeon said, "It is good to visit other books, but always live in the Bible. That is your home." So the second exhortation that Peter gives is make every effort to, ba- to be found without spot or blemish in his sight. Keep this in view. Christ is coming. Are we going to be found without spot and blemish before him? Or shall he, by his fiery eye, see in us a mere professor and not a real possessor of the faith through him? And he has laid it bare so far that the one who is a real believer is the one who is diligent in obeying God, in being practical in godliness. So, make every effort, he says. Now, while we wait for the Lord's coming, let us not think as that evil servant thought, my Lord delays, and so he gave in to his evil desires. Instead, knowing the faithfulness and the imminence of his coming, let us be diligent and make every effort to live godly. For in this way, then we will be found spotless and blemish, uh, blameless in his sight. Third is to regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. He says that in verse 15 also, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. It is uh, often... Goodness is often seen as weakness. Well, you, have, you may have noticed this, that if you are patient with someone and you do not return evil for evil, instead of saying, uh, I appreciate his grace toward me, I should not repeat it, they go on and say, well, it looks like he can bear more, so I'll give me more. But we are not to do this with the Lord. That is foolishness. If the Lord does not punish us right away, it's because he finds no delight in the death of the wicked that he desires that they should repent and return and live. So, so we are to do. And if there be any of you, and I trust there isn't, but if there be any of you that has forgotten God and that thinks that God will not judge, let them hear what the Almighty has to say. In Psalm 50, 22-23, we hear these sovereign words. Now consider this. And he's saying with a, uh, with, with a way, it's like, you who think you're mocking me. Now, he says, consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces, and there be none to deliver. He who, offer, he who offers a sacrifice, and this is what we are to consider, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me, and to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. If we do not repent... There is nothing to keep us from God tearing us to pieces and Him putting on us the full vengeance of His righteous wrath. But if we obey, if we bow ourselves before Him and obey, He is so gracious and so loving 
that he will delight in showing us the salvation that he provides. The fourth is for us to be on our guard. Why? It goes without saying that if you are at war, especially if you are under siege, you ought to be on your guard. You will not give sleep to your eyes. You not let them slumber. Or you know an arrow might pierce through your heart. Be on your guard, he says. The purpose is so that you are not led astray by the lawless people. You know, they do not come openly refusing and denying Jesus Christ. But as Jude says, that they, they infiltrated secretly. And uh, here in Second Peter, uh, we, we hear that they will bring in destructive heresies. So we are to be um, on guard for this very purpose. And also, so that you may not fall from your own stable pos- position, which is which is the, what will happen, the consequence of us not being on guard. The reason is, why are we to be on guard? Is because the untaught and unstable people twist God's word. Untaught, untaught by God. Because the one who is taught of God will, will honor God and will teach his word rightly, because God has taught him. Just like um, Paul says, I believe in Philippians, where he says, I do not need to write to you about love because you, because you are taught of God to love one another. And uh, the fifth uh, exhortation is to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon says, There cannot be any grace except as we know Christ Jesus. And there can be no growth in grace except as we grow in our knowledge of Christ. We may always test whether we are growing by asking this. Do I know more of Christ today than I did yesterday? Do I live nearer to Christ today than I did a little while ago? For, in, for the increase in the knowledge of Christ is the evidence as well as the cause of growth in grace. Now the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord and Savior has been both the opening of this letter as well as the closing of this letter. There can be, dear friends, no clearer emphasis on the importance of knowing Christ than this. And there can be no clearer emphasis on how we are to grow in Christ except through sola scriptura. That is the the means that God has provided for us. And we shall indeed do well, as Peter uh, exhorted us to. We shall do well if we pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place. We have nine minutes time and I think to some degree it is with purpose because there are some verses here that they may be a little bit hard to understand and so since it's not just a sermon but uh, more uh, also uh, a framework of discussing and uh, asking questions I think um, if you have read Second Peter uh, before and are well acquainted with it you know um, or you have come some uh, upon some uh, verses that you might want to uh, further elaborate on uh, but if not which is not necessary we can uh, we can close but here is an opportunity to learn from one another if you don't mention i'll mention some as a, <laughs> a lot What do you think of chapter 2, verse 
verse 1, at the end of verse 1, they were bringing destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. And they were bringing swift destruction on themselves. But that, that statement, the master who bought them, is there, um, I suppose, any difficulty in you hearing that? Or is that, uh, is that clear? As far as you know, your, your, your understanding of conviction goes. So that is one we can talk about. Peter's, Peter's um, point is not so that we may, uh, we may dive, uh, dive into these particular uh, portions to a great degree. He has already made the point uh, clear that uh, the knowledge of Christ is what we need. False teachers will come and will twist it. They will disobey God. We have to be on guard and we have to grow in grace and wait for God's coming by being obedient uh, to him. So that's, that's the point. But uh, as we desire the word of God and to understand, to understand it more, I think it is healthy to ask questions for the things where you know, we don't understand and, and to, to grow more. But <coughs> seems like you are well satisfied, which is, <laughs> which is very, very good. I'll blow up this Go for ahead. you. <laughs> Tea leaves, so, uh, talking about the trustworthiness of God's word. So if somebody's in a small group and someone is saying the only way that you can be saved is by hearing it, not just, they said, they're saying and they don't want, they feel that this, the leader feels this is false, that you can't just read the Bible and be saved, that you actually have to hear it spoken from somebody. What would you reply to that person? Well, it seems like they might have not gone as far as Revelation. Because when you go there, it says, Blessed is he who hears, reads the words of this testimony. But it is true that faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the Word of God. Now, if they hear, what are they hearing? They were hearing the Word of God. But he who is telling them the Word of God, where did he get it from? Except from reading the Word of God. But at the same time, we just read First Peter. He said he, he admonished. Uh, I mean, he encouraged us to grow in the knowledge. How are we to grow? By reading uh, the words uh, of of God. And so it is. It is the command of God that we should read His word and know. How are we to know whether what we read is true or not? He is telling us to watch from false teachers who will twist God's word. How do I know that what I'm hearing is right or wrong, except I know who Christ is and what he uh, tells me in his word. So, therefore, reading is of utmost importance. What are we to, to say about the deaf people? Is there no salvation for them? So, yeah. Your reference at verse 2, verse uh, 1 about the teachers who <clears throat> even denied the Lord who bought them uh, kind of refers to that they were had salvation at one time but maybe uh, who bought them uh, kind of uh, sounds like they may have had salvation yeah. but because of their unbelief uh, they're no longer really not a part 
I mean, you know, I mean, I know how it all goes. And, uh, you know, yeah. there's, <laughs> there's kind of a basically care about it. What, what does what does the word? They may have had yeah. salvation, but because they're denial of the Lord, it no longer stands true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think there is a, a reversal of uh, of portion here, or uh, from being saved to going to unsaved, as Armenians would uh, would say. Uh, now we go with what Paul says: we are not of those who turn back, but of those who um, what is it? Who persist, you know, into salvation. So the preservation uh, of uh, of the saints. Now Peter, that that is, this is what helps us, as we know the letter of Peter. Well, then we know to put each, each thing that he says in its own place. He says, make sure that uh, to confirm your calling and election. And he's telling us how we are to do that. And he says, be diligent, or uh, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, endurance, love. So here's how we are to, com uh, to confirm our calling. Are they called? Well... The question will be answered, are they diligent in godliness? It is, showed, it is shown uh, here that they are not. And therefore they were never called, they were never elected, they were never bought. Because if they were, they would not deny. The master is the word you know, for, for lordship, as the master of the house, who he has complete authority and whom his uh, slaves and servants are in complete obedience to him. And they are denying his lordship. They may say, oh yeah, this, uh, the Lord has bought us. Yes, we are redeemed, we are, we are believers, but by their deeds they deny Him, which shows that their, their, um, their assumptions that, as they say to people, that hey, I am, I am of the Lord, therefore listen to me, that is not true, because you know the tree by its fruit. So they're, uh, they're exclaiming that they belong to Jesus, is not uh, it's made evident it is not the case because of their deeds is that helpful so the master who bought them isn't necessary that jesus bought them but they they sold themselves again but it's more of their own declaration that jesus has bought them so they're denying the the master who bought them they are doing the denying and they are doing the uh, they are doing the denying of the one they claim they bought them Well, the rest of the passage, too, talks about their behavior and uh, character, I think. Uh, <coughs> kind of leaves, pretty much vividly shows kind of a hard attitude there, too, throughout the rest of the uh, portrays what they really are, you know. Come. We have one minute. What do you guys think? Yeah, go ahead. Second Peter 1, verse 3. Would that go along with Micah 6, verse 8? 1 verse 3, yeah. Micah 6 verse 8. That used to be a Calvinist verse. I think it would, but I'm not for sure. Micah 6 verse 8. As four chapters. <coughs> oh, oh, sorry. You said I was in Malachi. Oh. Never mind. Never mind. My bad. 6 verse 8. <coughs> Mankind, he has told uh, each of you what is good. And what is, the, uh, what is the Lord requires of you? To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to work humbly, humbly with your God. Uh, and then three, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness 
to the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Yeah, I mean, both, both of them are, are declaring that God has made clear what his requirements for us are. So, yeah. Well, we are out of time. And we can talk with one another as we head out about other <laughs> questions that we have. But let us thank our dear Lord who has uh, called us and uh, who is teaching us his truth and that who will preserve us to the very end. Almighty God, we are so uh, glad of your sovereignty and of your mighty power. Lord, there is none like you, none who is sovereign, none who is... Uh, there is no, no one beside you. You alone are God. Lord, we thank you that we are in your safe hands. Lord, thank you that you have taught us the way of truth and of righteousness, and you have taught, uh, above all, you have taught us to love them because they come of you. You have taught us to love you and to love your nature. Lord, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit that has made known to us uh, the things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and the heart has not, uh, they were not in, heart, in the man's heart. Lord, we thank you that these very truths, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, has been made known to us through your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you will also enable us to honor you as we live our short lives here on earth, and that as we <coughs> uh, walk as your children, we pray, Lord, that you help us to shine forth, that you help us to be on our knees in prayer and to be, Lord, uh, with our heads above your scripture, that uh, we may be greatly consoled about uh, the darkness that, that is in the world and the things that to come. Lord, thank you so much for your great and precious promises, for such they are. Lord, we pray that we will be diligent in these things and help us, Lord, to confirm our calling and our election by being diligent in godliness. We thank you for your mercy, for your power. Thank you for your precious word. I pray, Lord, that it will dwell in us, in us richly. In the name of your Holy Son and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray and thank you. Amen. So is that your last one for this? I was chapter one, like
You've been listening to presented at Maranatha Bible Church in Comstock Park, Michigan, where we exist to display God's glory, declare God's truth, delight in God's Son, and disciple God's people. No part of this digital file may be reproduced or distributed without prior written consent. For permission, go to mbcmi.org.